In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a beautiful piece about a daughter's evolving grief for the mother she lost years ago to metastatic breast cancer and how the action of making her own medical decisions helped move her through that grief process. Cancer is a thief. There's no way around it. To know cancer is to intimately know grief. When we are diagnosed, we grieve for ourselves and the loss of what once was, the loss of what we thought our life path would look like. We grieve for the loss of our hair, sometimes the loss of body parts, the loss of what our bodies maybe once could do, the loss of a certain identity pre-cancer. We grieve for the changes our diagnosis brings to not only ourselves, but to our families as well. And we grieve for those we lose to cancer too. Writing is a powerful tool for working through grief. I was two years out of my own cancer diagnosis when I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer. All through his illness, I wrote to make sense of what was happening, to express my rage and my fear. I wrote his eulogy, and in the years following his death, I learned to write as a way of visiting him and the feelings I had about missing him. There was also a lot of complicated feelings about making a life going forward that didn't include him anymore that I used writing to try to understand. My guest today is Kristen Carbone. Kristen was young when her mother was diagnosed with early, the early stage breast cancer that would eventually metastasize to her organs. At 31, in a step that allowed Kristen a measure of control, a step in healing her grief for her mother, she had a preventative bilateral mastectomy to reduce her risk of developing breast cancer herself. Today, Kristen is here to read a piece she wrote for Wildfire Magazine's 2021 Grief and Acceptance issue. This was an issue in which we explored not only the various layers of grief that we face in the breast cancer community, but also how and where we find solace. Welcome to The Burn, Kristen. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So you're reading for us today a piece you wrote called Ocean. After you read, we'll talk about where you are now in your healing and how writing has played a part. And those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode that will help you if you too are grieving. Yeah. All right, Kristen, I'll let you take us into your story now. Okay, thanks. In early 2004, less than a year after I graduated college and was contentedly working at my first museum job, my mother Lisa was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Her early stage breast cancer had metastasized, and with that news, I was hit with the first wave of genuine grief I'd ever experienced. I began having panic attacks in my car on the drive into work. In the solace of my car, I'd imagine my mom dying and what my life would be like without her. 
My eyes would well with tears, my breathing short, my chest heavy, my vision blurred. As the months went by, scans revealed more metastases, bones, lungs, liver, and my grief deepened. I wanted to succumb to the dark feeling of drowning in sorrow, how peaceful it would be to let the riptide pull me out and allow myself to sink beneath the weight of it all. I was ashamed of that feeling, and it stands out clearly in my memory as the moment when I began to push people away. I thought no one should know the darkness I harbor. My mom passed away early in the morning on November 15, 2005. Her death marked a new kind of grief, one that was combined with relief. Knowing that she was free from corporeal pain, one that we could no longer manage and control for her, provided some respite to my own pain. At the time, admitting to anyone that I was relieved was impossible, and I found myself bogged down by horrible guilt. That guilt was short-lived and quickly replaced by a calm, motionless, ever-present grief that I assumed was permanent. It felt like I was sitting in an emotional tide pool that created distance between me and everything. A future without my mom was too painful for me to imagine. But time continued passing anyway. I moved. I got married. I had two adorable children. Each new milestone was a brackish combination of joyous and excruciating. Celebrating anything happy, which I could not summon the enthusiasm for anyway, would be a betrayal to her memory. While I still had no specific hopes for my future, I knew that I wanted a future, and that meant taking control over my health. The first genuine movement away from grief was having a preventative mastectomy in the spring of 2013. Deciding to have surgery, multiple surgeries, while parenting a two and four-year-old required an enormous amount of support. Asking for and then accepting that help changed me. In the many generous friends and family who saturated that difficult moment with love, support, and hope, I could see my mom. Everyone talked about her while they were caring for me. They told stories about Lisa to my kids and made her memory visible. And I started to accept that her death didn't mean she was entirely gone. My mom remains alive in me and in all of us who loved her. Believing that made trying to feel better seem possible. For 16 years, I've been grieving. Sometimes I'm crushed by relentless waves of sadness. Other times I float calmly in a deep, placid pond of familiar heartache. It's only in the last few months that I've been able to hover above the water of my pain long enough to notice how it has evolved and allow myself to honestly feel better. I think I might be mending. Looking back through the rosy glasses of hindsight, I can see that the aching of her absence has changed from a rushing river that drowned my heart to a quiet brook that ebbs and flows over a healthy amount of scar tissue. I don't know that I'll ever be able to live without some amount of longing for the presence of my mother, but I trust that each new chapter of my grief will feel like progress. Progress takes work, and I finally feel like doing the work because I'm ready to live without grief filling the space between me and the rest of the world. I'm sure despite my best intentions, there will be days where I float along in a melancholic river of my sadness, but now I trust that I can step back onto solid ground, that I can dry off in the warmth of the sun and daydream about my future. Mm. Thank you so much for that, Kristen, for that beautiful piece. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break here and let Kristen catch her breath. And when we come back, we are going to talk more about forging pathways through grief. Hi, 
I'm Anseline Corso, and I was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer at 33 in 2018. I found the Wildfire Workshop while looking for virtual support at the beginning of the pandemic. Soon after, I subscribed to the Wildfire magazine. The 2021 Wildfire Body Issue was published a week before I had surgery. So much of what I was reading online made me worry about the outcomes. Reading the stories in the body issue gave me the hope I needed. It made me realize I wasn't alone, that I would learn to accept my scars. It wouldn't come easy, but I would get there. I have the magazine sitting on a table that I walk past every day. Sharing our stories matters. Finding others like us matters. Thank you so much for that, Anne. All right, welcome back. Kristen, thank you again for your powerful writing and for sharing your mom, Lisa, with us. Thanks for giving me the chance to share it. Absolutely. So I want to begin with where you are now in your process of grieving your mom. At the end of your piece, you said progress takes work, and I finally feel like doing the work because I'm ready to live without grief filling the space between me and the rest of the world. I love that so much because you're right. Grief does, I mean, it just will, right? Take up all that space between us connecting with anyone else. So can you tell us a little bit about what the work you're doing now looks like in terms of moving through your grief today and maybe the role that your mom occupies now in your life? Yeah, thanks. I think, you know, a big part of My healing has, one, been through writing, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a few minutes, but two, connecting with other people who had a similar experience. I think um, being part of the breast cancer community has been really healing for me, and I didn't realize until I attended an event that was about being a caregiver that I really identified much more as a caregiver than a previvor. You know, obviously, I've had this life-altering surgery, and it changed how I think about myself and about my body and my place in the world and my identity. But I, you know, I was a caregiver in some of my most formative years, and it colored how I think about the world, and I didn't realize that. So I think um, through meeting and talking to other people who'd had a similar experience, I was able to mine my own experience and have a new lens to process what I'd been through or why I feel the way that I do, or, you know, it, it feels like there was this barrier that was gone when I was talking to people who understood my experience. And I think that helped me negotiate around that barrier when interacting with other people, but it definitely takes work. Oh my gosh. Yes. And it's changing work all the time. I'm so glad you brought up that the caregiver piece, because I think a lot of us navigate that different role between patient and caregiver. And sometimes the caregiver part gets overshadowed by, you know, the patient part or the the patient themselves. And it's hard to feel like you're, you're allowed to take up space, I think, as a caregiver, too. And then of course, in the grieving process, that person that you want to talk to the most about the grieving process isn't there anymore. Yeah. And you know, it's when one person gets cancer, the whole family has it. And I was the primary caregiver along with my dad. And he had his own healing to do. And it was really difficult to sort of not know who to talk to when the person who had been my teammate, um, that we definitely trauma bonded through in a really 
unique way that we couldn't sort of come out of that on the other side and support each other. We, we needed to like take a break and figure it out. And it really, um, it was painful. You know, I, I think everybody deals with grief differently. And I was only 23 when my mom died and none, I mean, I had maybe one or two other friends who'd lost a parent, but I just didn't feel like I knew who to talk to about the experience I was having. And shortly thereafter, had my own children, helped take care of my grandmother. It's just the caregiving thing has been this continuous evolving role for me as a woman. Um, And it's hard to escape from. It's hard to think about your own thoughts and feelings and needs while you're working on someone else's very acute needs. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I love how you wrote in your story about it was through that process of needing caregiving yourself that kind of helped you to move into that next part. I want to ask you about, like you said, the role of writing as part of your grief process as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what it meant to you to write this piece and if you used writing at other parts of your process? Yeah, I actually, um, I used to be an art historian and my writing was very dry and academic and I didn't do really any personal writing until I decided to have my mastectomy. And part of that decision was because I have a huge family. And when I first started to like get on the phone and talk to people and tell them I was doing this, I was so overwhelmed by people's reaction and having to manage their feelings about it and answer all their questions. I was like, I can't. I actually can't do this and it shouldn't be someone else's job either. So I'm going to write about it and I'm going to then email everybody whenever I have an update and they can do with it what they want. They can call if they want to call me, they can write back. And then, then I have a minute to process and it's not all in real time. So from 20 early 2012 until I think 2014, I kept a pretty regular blog. And when I look back at it now, I realize that I did this, it was a a form of caretaking, I think, where I framed the whole experience really positively. And there's only one post where I'm like, I don't feel good about this. But most of the time, I'm like, I feel empowered. I'm doing this for my kids. So many people came to help me. And I never am really being vulnerable because I didn't want the feedback about my feelings. Um, I think in the last few years, I've done a lot more personal writing where I do talk very intimately and openly about how I'm feeling or what happened or my marriage ending or all the the sort of aftermath of not processing my grief um, and have relished in the feedback. Honestly, I think being really honest and vulnerable allows people to say, Hey, me too, which, you know, is, is really the intention I think of your publication in general, that someone reads it and feels less alone in what's happening to them. And the connections that come out of that are so beautiful and genuine Um, writing this piece I think came at a moment for me when I really was thinking a lot about grief. It's been a year full of grief. I think for most of us, 2020 was a really difficult, um, you know, we lost our, our, pers- our freedom in, in a way. And there, for people who've been ill or who had treatment and could really acutely go back to that moment of feeling immunocompromised and unsafe going out in the world, you know, it just has been this really drawn out year, year and a half of, of grieving in all these different ways. And, you know, losing some people to COVID, losing people to breast cancer, losing people to other illness during this time and not being able to gather and celebrate someone's life in the moment. I think grief just always felt top of mind while I was writing this piece. And I realized my relationship 
to it and how I approached it was so much different and had changed significantly. Yeah, I, I really resonate with that. And I think it's really interesting that you identified for yourself that you tapped into a deeper level of healing when you were able to get vulnerable and let people more into your process. Because I think our instinct is to put on the brave face and just kind of, you know, report the facts to our people and, um, and keep them at arm's length and think that that's, you know, you're just kind of taking off the boxes, right? But then when you let yourself be seen, there's probably a level of letting you saw yourself too, you know, in a new way. Would, would you say so? Yeah, I think so. And I, it helped me understand how and why so I have some of the relationships that I have and where I struggle in having really close personal relationships, why that is. And thinking about, you know, I had never heard the term fear of abandonment until sort of recently and was like, oh, yeah, I have that. And I think it's because my mom was gone and then my marriage ended. And these really important people in my life have sort of like flowed through it like they were on loan to me or something. And I hadn't, um, you know, I don't think about forever. I think, you know, I see people and the way they talk about their relationships, like people who aren't part of the cancer community, how they talk about relationships and love and children and spouses and boyfriends and girlfriends and partners and think like, oh, that's a little naive or something. I, ha I have like a different view on how precious right now is and really trying to figure out how I can not be afraid that sharing about myself, sharing about my experience might make someone uncomfortable in the moment, but it could deepen our connection. And that, that interaction and that relationship is going to be better if I cannot feel guarded and afraid of them disappearing and say, we, we have this moment and let's share this together mm -hmm. and not worry so much about the future. Yes. Yes. I love that present uh, present feeling that we can bring intentionality to it. And also what you said too, about when you share openly and are vulnerable, it does give someone else the opportunity to see themselves reflected back and not feel alone too. It's a win-win both ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to also mention the work that you do, the real work that you do for our community. Like me, you are an entrepreneur working so hard to make this space better for others who are diagnosed after us. Can you tell us a little bit about Brilliantly, Brilliantly and the work that you do now? Yeah, of course. Um, I started Brilliantly in 2017. Um, you know, I had my preventative mastectomy in 2013. So it was sort of pre-online community in the way that we know it now. Um, I didn't know any other women who'd done it at the time that I decided to do it. And thankfully healed well, didn't have any physical complications, but really was very unprepared for what it would feel like to live in a body that had been altered in that way. And, and everything from, you know, the, how long nerve pain would last or muscle spasms or that foggy post-surgical feeling to what I would feel like six months, a year, two years down the road. And really felt like, you know, because I had made this choice that I shouldn't complain about it. Like anything that, that was a result of this surgery was mine to own. And I never asked my doctors about many of the things I was experiencing. I didn't complain. Like my first reconstruction, one of my implants like drifted almost to under my armpit. And I really was like, this is what I just have to deal with. And it's okay that I'm not okay with that. 
and spent years sort of silently suffering through these things and not talking to people about it. One of the issues that really bothered me was how cold I felt. Um, I don't really remember if a doctor talked to me much about sensation other than that I might lose it. Um, but implants without breast tissue to insulate them are cold. They're cold to the touch and that, and sometimes they make your whole core feel cold. That's different for people. Temperature is really subjective. But um, I finally decided I was going to make something for myself to wear in the spring of 2017 got to a certain point where we had a working thing that was hooked up to a drill battery, so I couldn't really wear it. And that and that was really what started brilliantly. I thought, okay, I can't do this for just myself unless other women need it. And I joined Facebook groups. I joined Instagram. I started talking to hundreds of women, like really anyone who would talk to me and share their experience and learned really quickly that many women were suffering from the same issue, but also all kinds of quality of life issues, many of which are now coming to the forefront, we're being given permission, you know, by, by wildfire, by influencers, by people who are really genuinely talking about their experience. And so we've spent the last four years working on our warming wearable that is now on the market. It's called Brilliantly Warm. We have a portrait project. We have a corrective exercise program. We do a lot of interviews and content and events. And, you know, as you said, we're all just trying to make it a little bit better for the people who go through this experience after us. Oh, gosh, absolutely. And thank you for sharing so much of what that looked like for you, too. I mean, again, another opportunity to just be vulnerable and say, I thought I thought I couldn't ask for anything else. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who feel that way. So thank you for sharing that and for the work that you're doing. Yeah, Love that, Kristen. Thank you, too. Yeah. So where can people find you online? We're on Instagram and on the web at brilliantly.co. If anyone wants to reach out to me directly, I'm at Kristen at brilliantly.co. I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories. If you have things you're looking for that you can't find, we keep a huge spreadsheet that will hopefully someday be a database of products and services and content and all the things. So if there's something to add or you're looking for, please don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Kristen. So today's writer and guest was Kristen Carbone. Her piece was called Ocean from the April-May 2021 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Grief and Acceptance. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the very end for a grief and acceptance-inspired writing prompt. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. Finally, here's today's writing prompt. Are you missing someone who passed away? Well, writing can be a profound way of moving through your feelings of grief and also allow you the space to honor your loved one. For this prompt, you'll set your timer for eight minutes and write without stopping or editing. Honestly, keep your hand moving or your fingers tapping. There's magic in leaning into that time and there's no right answer for what you write. This prompt is inspired by a beautiful short poem by Rashani. So I'm gonna read the poem and then I'll give you the prompt. 
The poem is, There is a Brokenness. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken, a shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy, and a fragility out of whose depths emerge strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss, out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound, whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside, which is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. Again, that was called There is a Brokenness by Rashani. Okay, the prompt is to write to your brokenness, write to your broken heart, write to your grief, write to the brokenness that you're carrying. And I want you to write to it with all the tenderness you would shower on your own child or a child in your family that you love more than life itself. Begin with the words, dear one, I just want you to know. Write for eight minutes, write without stopping, without editing yourself and see what needs to come out and where it'll take you. Be gentle with yourself. Thanks for listening today. Until next time, take good care.